This morning, um, we're going to have a testimony by Bonnie Fairborn. Bonnie testified a couple weeks ago for those that were here in a, uh, we had a gospel um, song service and testimonies when Chris and I were gone for vacation. And so uh, she gave part of her testimony, but she's feeling that the Lord is asking her to give the second part. And, uh, and I'm excited about what the Lord's going to share today. So we're just going to give Bonnie the, the, uh, the microphone and the freedom to share as the Lord has placed on her heart. And so would you just pray for Bonnie this morning that Bonnie would be able to share what the Lord has laid on her heart to share. Amen. I know I talk soft, and I'm going to try to talk so you can all hear me. I'm glad to have this microphone. Um, Mike said it was the second part of my testimony, but actually it's the first part. Um, I've always been really open to talking about Michael and his problems and things and our life together. But uh, after I gave the last testimony, my husband and I shared that I had given it. He maybe got a word from the Lord or an unction, and he looked at me and said, when are you going to give your testimony? And it really convicted me and made me very uncomfortable. So I prayed about that for the last couple weeks and feel today's the day. Um, I'm so thankful for Pastor Mike and his willingness to get up and say things that most of us don't want to hear or convict us. But boy, the last two Sundays, God has been tearing me apart in a good way. So today I'm going to share some things that I've never shared before because I feel safe here. Um, <laughs> and I think God maybe wants to set a few people free, but me most of all. So I have to start at the beginning. Um, I'm one of five children. I was the second youngest, and I was born in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, if you can believe that. And our family was very dysfunctional. Um, Dad was a full-blown alcoholic and found out later he was unfaithful his entire marriage to my mom. And Dad was all about Dad, nobody else. So growing up as children, we never felt important, respected, loved, he was absent. If he was there, he was laid out on the couch watching TV, probably wishing he was in the bar dancing with some woman. Um, that was his life. That's what he enjoyed, and that's what made him function. So as a child, I didn't know what it felt like to have a father's love. We went to church. We went to a Lutheran church. We were always the last ones there. And to fit seven people in church, we had to sit in the front row every Sunday. It was torture. The night before was probably my dad coming home late. We lived in a really small little house. By this time, we lived in Milwaukee, Michigan, and lived in my grandparents' house that they owned. It was a temporary thing, of course. And dad loved the situation because we didn't have to pay rent, so we never moved out of there. But it was a very small house, two bedrooms, five kids, one little bathroom, no shower. Um, so when Dad came home, you could hear everything. You heard every fight, every argument. So five little kids had pillows over their heads trying to drown out 
the noise. And, of course, you always blamed yourself that maybe you did something to make him like that. But um, it's funny. I have no memories of my dad putting me on his lap, telling me he loved me. He probably did it, but I have no memories of it. I have very little memories of my whole life. Um, it's Some of it's just a blur, but things I do remember aren't very good. Like my very first memory, I was four or five, I think. We lived in Sheboygan at the time, and I was walking back from preschool or kindergarten and came up to our house, and there were a bunch of boys out front um, riling up a bee's nest. Well, by the time I got there, they had taken off, and the bees were angry and chased me into the house and stung me several times. That's my first memory. Um, my second's worse. Um, I was in a Lutheran school, first grade, and it was very strict. And at the end of the day, you had to stand next to your desk while they prayed. And um, I had to go to the bathroom, and they wouldn't excuse me to go because that wasn't part of their program. So I wet my pants with this big puddle on the floor. And um, that was my second memory. My brother, who loved to tease me, gave me a nickname for that that he called all the rest of my life. So my life was not fun. Um, it was full of shame. Mom was wonderful. I don't know how she did it. She should have left my dad a long time ago. I know that, but she didn't. So I was raised thinking this was normal. You know, you didn't have friends over to your house because you didn't know what was going to happen next, especially at night. So by the time I got into high school, um, I went from a small little um, junior high school that was 30 in our class to getting shipped into Saginaw with 800 in the class. And I was totally lost. I felt like a number. And when you came from Zawaki, you were considered a hick. So I had several strikes against me. I was smart, got all A's practically, but that didn't seem to satisfy me. Um, had one boyfriend that I had from junior high. But when we got to high school, there were so much better things than me there. So he used me for help with his homework or to come over and play pool at our house or experiment sexually. Never took me on a date. I never went to prom. I never went to homecomings. I never went to football games. I didn't even go to graduation because there was going to be no one there anyway, so why should I go for 800 kids in a class? Somewhere along there, I started using alcohol. Or maybe it was summer. I ended up up here to work in the summers at the Little Harbor Club. My sister had been in college, and they were hiring girls from that college to waitress. One of their mothers died, so they needed somebody quickly in the middle of the summer, and I was ready. I think I was 15 or 16, and so I came up here, and it was empty, empty, empty. My life was empty, but something about alcohol all of a sudden made me feel like my inhibitions kind of left. And, of course, they did, and I did things that I never would have done if I hadn't started drinking. But it was a way of escape. So 
like I said, my life's a blur. I don't remember dates or ages, but um, I started to be very promiscuous, looking for that love I never got. But I got just the opposite. I got more feelings of condemnation and guilt and shame and was just getting sucked down deeper and deeper into this pit. Um, I ended up going to the same college my sister did. I used to visit her on the weekends in high school to escape from that place. And um, so I got introduced to more things earlier than I probably should have. I spent a lot of time considering suicide. The devil loved to put that thought in my head, but I never seriously planned it out. It just it would go through my head. In fact, he still does that to me. When I'm driving down the road, he'll just say, drive in front of that truck. Um, but I know where it's coming from now, so I can rebuke him. When I went to college, um, I also had trouble with friendships because I was an expert at building this wall around my heart, this brick wall that you know completely covered me. I probably looked like a very unfriendly person because I wasn't letting people in. But in high school, the friends I had from junior high all went to different classes. They took bookkeeping and typing, and I was in calculus and trigs. So we had different schedules. We were in different classes, different lunch hours. And lunch hour was hell for me. I walked into this big cafeteria and thought, who would want me to sit with them? So I determined early on that I wasn't going to sit down during lunch. I would walk the halls. I'd walk outside if it was nice. For three years, I did that and cried a lot. But I think Jesus was right there with me. I do have one good memory I want to share that um, I think I was four to six years old, somewhere in there, and my sister and I, who's one of my best friends, she's a couple years older than I am, and she has a lot of similar stuff to what I've just been saying. Um, we were up at our grandparents' cottage on Nebish Island where we'd spend our summers, which was really a fun time. And she and I loved cheese Whiz and salting crackers. So the Lord must have been pulling on me way back then because one day we decided we were going to make this big plate of saltines and cheese Whiz crackers, and we took them upstairs, and we knelt down on the floor and put this sacrifice out to the Lord and asked, you know, asked him to take them. And we closed our eyes and expected to open our eyes, and they'd all be eaten up. And we were kind of disappointed that he didn't come and he didn't take them, so we ate them. But whenever my sister and I pray now and we hold hands, the Lord flashes that memory back to me and um, smiles. He was there. Um, so I know he had his hand on me all those years. It didn't feel like it at the time, though. So when I was in college, somebody came to the campus talking about transcendental meditation. And I was in a psych class then, and our professor decided to take the class, and a few of us joined him. They take you into this little dark room and chant all this stuff over you and uh, pure demonic stuff and gave you a mantra to say and, of course, keep it real secret. And 
have something like eyeing, and you're supposed to repeat it and just sit there and basically empty your mind and open your heart to the demonic. So I would practice that when I'd be feeling really anxious. And it seemed to work. You know, I'd see these colors and sort of feel relaxed. But after I left college, I quit after two years. My sister had graduated, and we decided to stay here and ski and waitress and have fun. And um, I was meditating on my bed one afternoon in my apartment, middle of the day, and I opened my eyes, and as clear as me looking at Pastor Mike, there was a demonic force there. I don't know if it was Satan or one of his workers, but as big as day, not see-through, he was just there. And I was scared to death. I don't know what I did. I don't know what I said. I must have just closed my eyes, maybe disappeared. But, of course, I never did that again. Um, but he was after me. He wanted me, hook, line, and sinker. And the scripture, I don't know, I searched for it this week, but I, I saw several that sort of said this, but how the sins of the father are visited upon their children. And I think that was the case for us when I look at myself and my brothers and sisters most of us got into promiscuous behavior and alcohol. It's a trap, and um, it's really hard to come out of without the Lord. It's impossible to come out without the Lord's help. So when I was up here, I should be dead right now. The things I did, driving drunk and the choices I made. But one summer, I met my husband. It was probably, I was maybe 22, so I had four years of living like hell. And uh, I fell in love with him at first sight. He swept me off my feet. I think he felt the same way. And of course, then he moved right into my apartment, and we lived in sin for a couple of years. That saved me from multiple partners, which I'm grateful for. But um, he came into the relationship, and so did I, with a car full of baggage. And I think we even had U-Hauls hooked on with more. That never works very well. But something kept us together, the Lord, because he had a plan. But we were the typical codependent people. We fought all the time. We drank together a lot. I turned into kind of a monster when I drank. I just was not a happy, fun drunk. I was mean and jealous and it was bad. So, but I kept drinking and I got pregnant while we lived together. <laughs> Made a really stupid choice and had an abortion we used our last hundred dollars to pay for it. And um, I know God's forgiven me. I'm not sure I ever will completely forgive myself. But I know I'm going to meet that baby in heaven one day. And um, we eventually got married because we had to move out of our apartment. They sold it and raised the rent and the place we wanted to move into a cute little house wouldn't rent to us because we weren't married 
So we got married on a Wednesday afternoon and made it legal. Well, I don't know if I was trying to get pregnant at some point, but I got pregnant again, and it turned out to be an ectopic pregnancy. I'd had some kind of pelvic disease from sexually transmitted diseases because there are always consequences with our choices. And I, the main reason people become sterile. So emergency surgery, and they took out half my stuff, and then more guilt and condemnation that I would never have a normal pregnancy. Cried over that a lot. Well, the Lord did finally bless me with a son. He's beautiful. He's wonderful. He's almost 30 now. But um, help me, Jesus. After I became a mother, I started looking at life differently and started going to a church up the street from us. And the Lord started drawing me. He'd been drawing me before that many times, many ways. He had put a Christian boyfriend into my life at one point in the midst of my deepest, darkest times. And I felt so unworthy to be around this guy. He was so perfect and went to church for two hours in the day and attended Oral Roberts University. And I felt like a piece of dirt next to him. So that didn't work out, but I saw something in him that I wanted desperately. So God just kept drawing me. My sister ended up in the Moonies at one point, or almost. She was very ready to join them. And Mom hired someone to kidnap her and deprogram her. That drew me into the Bible to search for answers for her because she was my best friend, and I couldn't see her lost in that area she did come out of it she's a pretty strong Christian right now told her I was giving my testimony today and she wasn't too sure that was a good idea she said you sure you want people to know that well you're not going to share that are you and you're not going to share that And she's real good at stuffing everything and just pretending it didn't happen but I know that feelings buried alive never die they're going to come out one way or another so I prefer to get rid of them. Um, I was able to overcome the drinking with my son. I started attending church. Things were going better. My husband and I still had a lot of problems, which you ever listened to that testimony, you'll understand that one. Um, but God still had work to do on me and when Mike gave his sermons the last two weeks and I already knew it but it just hit me over the head with a hammer that there were still things I was dealing with that I needed to get rid of when we used to go to Florida in the winter I attended a women's group and this was well it'll be eight years in March March 7th there was a prophetic word spoken over me they had several of us line up in chairs and somebody was going to prophesy or whoever got a word and I remember sitting there thinking 
oh, God, please just give me one word. You know, I thought everybody else would get these wonderful words, and I wouldn't get anything. So I was just, please, just give me something. And I ended up getting the most. And I cried, and I cried, and I cried. And I have it on tape, and I still listen to it. But God's been revealing to me that until I get rid of the last couple things, those last couple bags of garbage, that he can't take me to that next level that he's prophesied over me. So that's the main reason I'm standing up here today, burying my soul to you, um, because I want to be free. And where I'm not free is in my mind. You can't live a life that I lived and not have, it's like a computer, your mind is a computer, and everything you've experienced or looked at or seen or thought is there. And the enemy is so good at pressing replay and playing things through your mind at just the right time to bring you back down. I know that we can overcome that, but I didn't. And I've struggled with that. I've been able to do so many things, but that's one area in pure thoughts that I haven't been able to be totally free. And it was because I chose not to be. But I want to be free now. And God, you know, I think people think, well, you can't, you can't help what you think. You can't help what you dream. That's not true. Uh, I read this great book by Merlin Carruthers. He wrote some great books about praise. But he said... Just imagine if you walked around with your every thought projected on a computer screen above your head. Do you think you could control your thoughts? You bet you can. And the thing is, we do walk around with computer screens because God's reading our every thought, every action. We're going to give an account one day for them. So this week, the Lord, through the Internet, brought me to a site. I don't know how I found it, but... This couple, the man was living a lie and impure thoughts and um, how he got free. And a couple of his suggestions I think were great. That Of course, you come back with the word. Um, you re reject those thoughts immediately, and you speak the word, the sword of the spirit. But another great thing he said was that if, you're, if you can picture Jesus... And all that he went through to save us from our sins, the beatings he took and the skin laying bare on his back and the torment. If you can sit at his feet and look up at his face while he's being tormented for that very sin that you're still entertaining, that you're going to be able to be free, that you're going to superimpose God's vision instead of the devil's vision. So I'm choosing that today. And I have been free for about two weeks. Hallelujah. I've confessed everything to my husband. He's been wonderful about helping me. Um, I've confessed things to my son, which were really tough. But the word says if we confess our sins one to another, he'll forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So... I'm not sure I was supposed to do this today. I think I was. If there's just one person in this room, maybe a young girl or a father, that might get something from this, it was worth it. 
But dads, do you know how important you are, or young men that are going to become dads, that you are going to make all the difference in a young girl's life? My father um, ended up being married about four times. Wife number three was a Christian, I'm pretty sure, and he professed to be that he did quit out drinking. But, you know, we never really saw a big change in him because it was still all about him. He would come back to town once every two or three years and come into town for a couple hours, and all you heard about was him. Um, one time he and his wife sat me on a bench before I got saved in the, in the park in the summer, and they just started beating me with their Bibles. And it was such a turnoff because he didn't seem like a Christian. Why would I want to become like him? And I really was resentful that I didn't feel he earned the right to speak to me about anything. But I hope I've forgiven him. I've sure tried many times. Gone through lots of inner healing ministry stuff and broken soul ties and this and that, but really the answer is at the foot of the cross. And I really feel I'm going to be victorious this time. I thank God for this church because it might be really small, but wow, it's powerful. And uh, Mike is fabulous. You know, he's probably given up a lot personally to walk the way he's walking. And you got to lift him up and pray for him. So if you're struggling with something, I don't know what it could be. There's lots of things, but most of them start in our mind, and we need to control that. And there are ways. You know, it's not impossible, but you better want it. And if we're walking in sin during that time of sin, we have to really disconnect ourselves from the Lord during that time or we're going to be miserable. So if you stay close to him and keep your eyes on him and play music. Chris, I love to listen to Christian music. I take it to exercise. I listen to it the whole time I'm there. I listen to it when I go to bed at night. I listen to it while I'm working. I listen, listen, listen. And when I do that, the enemy just can't get a hold of me. So I walk around with headsets all the time, which is kind of fun. So I just thank you for loving me, for letting me worship. I've got so much to be thankful for, and the joy has to come out some way. And when I dance and praise him, it's just it's, it's liberating. Um, the end of the story, that was the first part. You heard the middle if you were here before, but the end of the story or where we are today is how God took not only a dead husband and raised him to life, but he took a dead marriage that was so dead that I really hated him at one point in time. I had no respect for him. And uh, he's brought, breathed life into our marriage. We not only like each other, but we love to be together. We love to hold hands. We love to go to lunch on Saturdays. We love to... I'll lay on his bed, and he'll play Christian music on YouTube, and we 
sing together and praise for hours. It's, uh, if you told me that was going to be my case a few years back, I'd tell you you were crazy, but he's, he's changed both of us. We both need you. And there's, we got so much more to do, but it's okay because we're on the same page finally. And we can pray things out, and we can talk, and we can share, and we, we can be open. Um, God is a miracle-working God, and I just thank him for my husband, my best friend, my mom, and um, all of you. So thank you for letting me share this today, and I just ask God to bless each one of you and set you free today. And. Uh, I just claim right now, and I'm going to speak to the enemy, that you're done with me, that your uh, ugly pictures are gone, that God takes a spiritual eraser and just cleans that lens right off, that I'm starting fresh. And that word that was spoken over me will be eight years, March 7th. God gave me um, an urgency to do this because... Number eight in the Bible has a symbolic meaning of new beginnings, and I don't want to miss that. So I'm preparing myself for something great, something great for all of you too, but he has destinies for us, and we will not fulfill them if we continue to walk in sin. And so I'm just, I'm free today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bye. Thank you for sharing that. That is just uh, really good. I, stay up here if, if you would. I, I, I just want to change the whole order of service. I'm not going to preach today. Uh, I just don't feel like that's the right thing for me to do. I think what we need to do is have Michael come up and Bonnie, and I think we, want to, we should pray over them. And, uh, and just thank the Lord for what he's done in your life and um, pray God's blessing over you and pray God's protection over you because you've, made a, 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 you've, you've really fired the enemy up today. Whenever you're open and honest like you are, the enemy just gets furious, and he will come against you. But greater is he that is within us than he that is within the world. The devil is in the world. Jesus is in you and Michael. And um, I'm getting to know you enough that I trust you. I trusted you completely with today. I, I didn't ask any questions, and that's unusual for a pastor to give up his, a microphone to speak to his people, to speak to the flock that he's in charge over, it takes a little bit of courage and maybe um, faith. I, I really trusted when you when you sent me that email said this week. My my immediate reaction was to ask a lot of questions, and to say how long? What are you going to talk about? I need to know and all this stuff. And the Lord just stopped me. He said, "Don't ask her one thing. Just say yes. Just say yes, and then trust the Holy Spirit." And that's exactly what I did. And I believe that's a lesson for me, and I believe that it gave you the ability to share openly what you needed to share. And we don't judge you. There is not a person here. This is like Jesus saying, whoever has sinned, throw the first stone. There is no stones here. This is a safe place. And I'm so thankful that it is a safe place. Amen? Can you agree with me on that? This, this is a safe place. We have no pretenses here. We are not trying to be anybody that we're not. We are just people trying to follow Jesus the best that we can. It's all about Jesus. You know, and that urgency you feel, I feel the same urgency. I feel an urgency in my spirit that 2015 is a big year. And I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm not, a, I'm not prophesying anything here other than the fact that, folks, you and I, none of us have a guarantee we're taking our own shoes off tonight. 
None of us have that guarantee. We are truly living in our last days. Whether you like to admit it, whether you want to realize that or not, understand that we are truly living in your last days because none of us has a guarantee other than the promise and the hope of Jesus Christ that when I don't take my, last, my shoes off that day, I'm in heaven. I'm in heaven. I'm in heaven. And that is a great place to be, and I have no fear of that. And I don't believe many of us here in this place do as well. So this morning, if you would agree with me, would you come up? Let's just gather around Michael and uh, Bonnie and their mom. Would you come up? Why did I not? Why did I know that you would say something? <laughs> <laughs> and I say that in a good way. I don't. Um, our, our marriage was truly in the toilet. It really was. I... I sometimes tell people that, and I have to blame myself for it, mostly, um, but it truly was. And anyone whose marriage is in the toilet, he is the true redeemer. He's a fixer. He's not, he doesn't hurt people. He's a fixer. And I take absolutely, I, I take none of it for myself. He found me. He lives within me in my marriage. He is the Redeemer. So anybody that's having problems, do not give up. Just ask him. I'm in the need of a Savior today. Yeah. And he will come to you. Amen. He will come to your husbands or your wives who are not saved. He will not let you down. It's impossible. He is truly the Redeemer. So anyone who is in that position, our example is one of many. He does it all the time. You just got to let him in. Amen. And he will take care of that. Yeah. So I thank him for my life and for my marriage. And as you say, if my shoes come off this afternoon, and I've proven the fact that they can, believe me, I go, I welcome it. I have no, I'm not afraid at all. Amen. You. you know, it's really important that when we hear someone's testimony like this, that we don't uh, that we have a takeaway. And the takeaway of that is, how can I apply the lessons learned in their life into my life? Isn't it a shame to think that we have to live through those same bad lessons? You know, from the things that she did and Michael did and others have done with alcohol and drugs and promiscuous living and all the things. You know, we don't have to go through that. Young people here, you don't have to go through that. You can just learn from, a poor, from, from lessons from others and, and avoid all of that heartache. And avoid all of that pain that comes from that, those consequences. And, and Bonnie, you know, you do have a child in heaven, and you are going to raise that little boy, two children. Yeah, you have two children in heaven that are going to be there that you're going to see, and you're going to mother them, and the Lord's going to be very gracious with that, and you are forgiven. Whether you know it or not, you are forgiven, and that's just, that's just the grace of God, amen? So let's just gather around them. Let's just pray, and let's just pray God's blessing and protection. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Dear Father, we just come before you in Jesus' holy name. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for the boldness that Bonnie has. And I thank you for the boldness that Michael has to share faith without fear. And Lord Jesus, this is an amazing testimony of your grace. 
And Lord, there's no wonder that Bonnie dances before you and waves flags before you of worship because of where she has come from and where she is going. Yes, Lord. What a change. Yes, Lord. What a glorious change of direction that you've put, her, you've put in her, her path in. And Lord, for the, for the way that you've just healed relationships mm-hmm. with sisters and her mother. And mm-hmm. God, and I pray that she will continue to forgive her father. Yes, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord. Lord, forgiveness sets people free. Yes, it does. When we can forgive those that have hurt us like that, mm-hmm. Lord, we just have to think back at you as you're on the cross looking yes. down at those that have just driven the nails in your feet and you say, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Mm-hmm. What an example of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And we just follow that. Mm-hmm. And I just pray the power of forgiveness in Bonnie's life, mm-hmm. that, you will, that, she will, uh, that you will continue to accomplish that for her without question. She knows that. But, Lord, the enemy would come back and hit that rewind button again in her life and say, no, you haven't. No, you haven't. And we're saying, yes, she has. Yes, she has forgiven her father. And because she has forgiven her father, you have forgiven her. Yes, Father. And, Lord, for all of us here that have ill wills and issues with our family members or past relationships, Father, that same promise is for us. And so, God, I just am praying for a complete freedom. Yes, Father. Complete freedom. Devil, you have lost. You have lost. Mm -hmm. And there's no getting it back. Just understand it. So you might as well just go and waste your energy on somebody else because you don't even come around here. You have no authority in this place at all. So you might as well just take up your little demons and go on and just get out and go bother somebody else because this family is no longer botherable in the name of Jesus, for the blood of Christ. And so, Father, I thank you for her testimony. I thank you for her boldness. And God, I just pray that you would just bring blessing upon blessing. I'm so glad you've brought them to this church. I'm so glad, Father, you've graced us with their, with their presence here. God, that she just brings life in her worship. It's such a blessing. And, Lord, I pray that we would learn our lessons, that we would look and allow people to come in that maybe are a little bit different than us. Yes. God, that we would see people walk in and we would see the potential that you see yes. in them. Lord, maybe, maybe Bonnie's freedom has put some of us uncomfortable. Maybe her freedom and dance and her freedom of worship makes the rest of us feel a little bit uncomfortable at times. God, break us. Yes. Break us. Break us, Holy Spirit. Break in to our hearts. Let us be truly gracious and grateful for how you've forgiven us as well. Holy Spirit, we just give you the authority to work in this life, in this family, and in our church as your people. And we give you praise and we give you glory for it in Jesus' name. Father, I lift up this church to you, Father. There are a few, but they are bold and they are mighty, Lord. So we thank you, Father, for their boldness and for their for their home. So, Father, I just lift this church up and I ask you to wash over it. Mm. Fill it up with your spirit, Father, in Jesus' name.